Hey, I'm Sandy, and I'm a quilter, and I'm betting you are too. So why don't you get a cup of coffee, or whatever, and get comfortable while we talk about quilting for the rest of us. Hey, welcome to episode 76, in which we talk unity with Jay. And uh, this was partially recorded. The conversation with Jay was recorded on Sunday uh, January, whatever that was. And I am now recording the rest of it and posting it on Thursday, January 12th, 2012. And um, I'm going to just give a quick introduction and then we're going to get right into it. I'm going to hold off on listener feedback until the next episode because Jay and I had a a good but longer conversation for this episode, and I don't want to have the whole thing end up being too long. So I'm going to hold off on listener feedback. You've been giving me a lot of great stuff to think about and talk about in your comments. So um, we'll we'll take care of that next time. I want to make sure I can give it some time. Uh, just a, a little thing you may have noticed. Um, a listener did suggest to me that it might be time for me to change my intro to the podcast. She said it very nicely. It was not an insult thing at all. In fact, she said it for very complimentary reasons. And I had actually already been thinking about that a little bit. I'm, uh, currently hurtling down the path to my two-year podcast anniversary. Uh, that's in a couple of months at the end of March. And so I'd begun to think, you know, my, I really need to shorten it up. I need to say something else. So I agree with her. It's time. Um, the problem is, without my usual introduction, I'm really not entirely sure how to introduce the podcast. So I'm going to, you know, mess with some different things, I think. So you may hear some variations for a bit until I settle on something new. And if you want to write me a script, feel free. <laughs> Give it a shot. Send it along. I'll see what I think. Um, I do have a request to send out there. I have a little bit of what I think of as drug-induced amnesia. During this, the week between Christmas and New Year, I think is when it happened, um, when I was really still quite sick and on a lot of cold medicines, I was emailing back and forth with one of you. And unfortunately, I, now I don't remember who it was or what we were emailing about. But uh, in the conversation at one point, I said, oh, yeah, that would be a great question to post on Big Tent in the Quilting for the Rest of Us group or on my Facebook page and do a whole listener input thing. And now I can't remember what it was <laughs> that I was going to post. I don't remember what the conversation was. I don't remember who I was talking about. I was really, you know, you never even entirely know how out of it you were until later. Anyway, if this is ringing a bell <laughs> with any of you out there and you can remember the conversation and you can remember what it was I said I was going to post as a question in the Quilting for the Rest of Us group in Big Tent and or on my Facebook page to get listener input for a future conversation, could you just shoot me an email? <laughs> And really, this is definitely a red-faced, sheepish grin kind of time. Um, so hopefully, somebody out there will say, oh yeah, I remember what it was we were talking about, and uh, I, I can let you know. If you weren't that person, but you have a question you think I ought to post, go ahead and lay it on me. I am more than open to suggestions. So, uh, without further ado, in this episode, once again, I am talking with Jay Lapache of the uh, Art Quilt Maker blog about design elements and principles. And in this episode, we talk about unity and or harmony, whichever one you want to call it. So here we go. Okay, we are on, I have no idea how many of these we've done. I think this is episode number three in our design series. I think we're on number three with Jay. And uh, today we are talking about unity. And I think we're also talking about harmony, correct? A little bit about harmony, yeah. Okay. 
All right, so why don't you start us off, Jay, by telling us what is unity? Okay, so unity and harmony are principles of design, and unity and harmony are often combined as one principle, and we're going to use harmony as just another word for unity. As I think I mentioned last time, people don't agree on all these principles and elements, so I'm just doing the best I can in making them organized for your listeners. Okay, so basically, since nobody else agrees, whatever we say goes, right? Exactly. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) Okay. Fine, bosses. (laughs) (laughs) All righty, so why don't you uh, lay some definitions on us then? Okay. The presentation of an integrated image is one definition. A design in which congruity or agreement exists among the elements in the design. For example, they look like they belong together. And some visual connection beyond mere chance that has caused elements to come together. So basically what these definitions are saying is when you look at a quilt, you go, oh, yeah, all those parts fit. All right. And and subsequently then also if you look at a quilt and it doesn't feel right, then there may not actually be unity to the design. Correct. Okay. According to Joan Wolfram, who wrote a recent book called Adventures in Design, um, the backbone of any design is unity because it provides stability and control in a design as well as visual comfort. It clarifies the design. So one of the things about not doing all the principles and all the elements at once, but doing them one at a time is you get to think about them a lot, but... They work together, so they come up as you're discussing principles or elements. Other ones that we may not have discussed come up, and that's the case here, in unity especially. Unity can't exist without other closely related elements and principles. The strength of the composition is that the parts are not there by chance, but appear to belong together, which I said. The parts don't have to be the same or have to touch each other. Rather, they have to just make sense together. And so part of what I just said is repetition and rhythm. And those are two elements that we haven't talked about yet. But we will get to those and refer back to this one when we get to those. So it sounds like, yes, there are definite things you can do to help you achieve unity. But in some respect, a certain amount of this is a little bit of gut instinct. You sort of know it when you see it (laughs) to a certain extent. Yeah, that's true. I think that we all have an innate sense of good design. And we might have talked about this before, but I think we look at quilts, maybe at a quilt show or something, and go, oh, that is not, something's not right about that quilt. And it may be that it's not unified in some way. Okay. All right, so talk to us then a little bit about how do you go about creating unity in a quilt? Okay, so unity of design is achieved by the arrangement of the lines, shapes, colors, values, textures, and patterns that are used. And all of those are parts of blocks or, I guess, blocks mostly. I mean, I was trying to think of art quotes, which don't always have blocks, but I think the art quote people will know what I mean if I refer to just blocks. 
So there are a couple of techniques. They're not really techniques, but they're ways of creating unity. So the first one is called the grid. And the easiest grid is a checkerboard pattern. Now think of a checkerboard using black and white fabrics. And no matter how big it is, even if it's just a fourth patch, it has complete unity. There's a constant repetition of shape and obvious continuation of lined up edges. But it can be a little bit boring, especially if you just have plain white fabric, solid fabric, not tone on tone, and plain black fabric. Um, so, but many, many quilts have an underlying checkerboard pattern. So the arrangement of blocks, you have one block next to each other. Maybe there's a little sashing in between, but that is essentially a checkerboard. And you can make a plain checkerboard more interesting by using black, white, and say two kinds of gray. It adds in a little variety to your basic checkerboard theme. A checkerboard could be a really good exercise. Start out with cutting 16 black and white squares, 8 black, 8 white, and sew them together. Then cut 16 squares, 8 white or black, 2 of one kind of gray, and 2 of another. And then sew them together. Now that will add in some variety and make it more interesting. And then you could do the same thing, but with rectangles. So a checkerboard pattern using black, white, two kinds of gray, where rectangles are added to the squares, creates even more variety while still using a basic grid. There's an ob obvious, quote unquote, underlying feeling of unity, yet the variations will enliven the pattern. And you could really do a lot just with that checkerboard and making small changes, cutting a square in half, combining squares. Um, I didn't, I didn't set this out as an exercise, but I think it could be a good one and an interesting one. So also shapes may repeat, but perhaps in different sizes, colors may repeat, but perhaps in different values. So you could extend the exercise by using all blues cut 16 different blues and put them together you know it strikes me as i heard you describing that that that's what a lot of scrap quilts are they take the same basic block and they may do them all in blue but just by changing up you know what blue fabrics they're using you've got the overall unity even though well there's still more interest then exactly exactly and i did a blue quilt like that um, I think last year or the year before, it was all just blue six-inch squares. And I'm not quite sure it was a charm quilt, but it it was a really good exercise. And how much blue I actually borrowed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> how, how to put different blues together. When you put, when you have 300 blue squares and you put them together, some of them look more green, some of them look more black. It's very interesting. Right. Same thing, you could do the same thing here on a much smaller scale. So the next sort of way of creating unity is called unity through repetition. And you're going to hear repetition a lot throughout this segment. Repetition is another way to create unity in a quilt design. The repetition of an element in a composition can tie the whole together, creating a relationship among elements. So a star quilt. 
as an example, or a nine catcher. Pick any block and do it many times and put it together, and you've got repetition. The repetition of an element creates visual rhythm. Static rhythm, alternating rhythm, and progressive rhythm have an effect on unity, but we're not going to cover those right now. We're going to cover them in when we cover rhythm. Okay. So... So really repetition, unity through repetition is when you look at a lot of the what we consider the traditional quilts, that's kind of what they do. You know, a single block that's used throughout, but just changing it up a little bit. But the repetition is there in the block itself. Right. But let's say that we all made perfectly sewed star blocks for each other and everybody ended up with 16 different blocks. That would create repetition too, but there would be a lot of variety because you might have a frosted star, you might have a variable star, you might have a friendship star, all those different blocks would create repetition. I mean, there are other factors, like if they were all different weird colors, uh, it might muddy the waters, but let's say they were all black and white with red or something. Even though they were different stars, it would still be it would still include repetition. Right. Okay. So the next way is called varied repetition, and this is related to unity through repetition. And it kind of, I kind of said a little bit just a minute ago about the star quilt. But variety is achieved by position, so straight set or on point, size, and difference in proportion of the features. And what that means is if we're talking about our star quilt again, Maybe you have some people who made four-inch blocks and some people who made six-inch blocks and some people who made 12-inch blocks. Yes, you'd have to work a little harder to put them together, but there would be some variety by size. Okay, I'm, that, I'm, I'm thinking specifically of your stars for San Bruno quilts. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But if somebody is going to do a quilt like that, tell people to do it in multiples of 12 <laughs> <laughs> Do it so the math makes sense. <laughs> yes. All right, um, and we'll have to we'll make sure we post links to your um, those star quilts to be an example for this section, so other people who may not have seen them yet can can see what we're talking about. Okay, great idea. <laughs> uh, I didn't think of that. Two minds always better than one. <laughs> um, okay, so <laughs> variation or contrast within unity creates a stronger design than unity alone. So all black is not quite as interesting as black and white. Variety creates increased interest in a design. So again, going back to our star quilt, if if they're all sawtooth stars in all the same colors, people will just look and go, ooh, lovely sawtooth star, I love sawtooth stars. But if there's, again, a friendship star and a variable star and a frosted star, people are going to stop and look and go, oh, I love this, oh, I love this. Look, here's my favorite star. So I think that's why people like those sort of contained samplers, um, such as the star quote we've been talking about, the fake star quote. Right. The pretend uh, one. <laughs> yeah. And so getting we talked a little bit about architecture last time, I think. And if you think about porch posts, like if you have a rail around your porch or um, the 
the posts that are on your stairs, these are an example of varied repetition. So you might just have a round dowel kind of post for your porch, but you might not. You might have one that has more shape, that's more curvaceous. So they're all the same, but they're not boring. Um, repetition in design is simply repeating one or more elements. Every element doesn't need to be repeated. And if too many elements are repeated, predictability, visual monotony, and disinterest can result. So like I said, if you have a sawtooth star quilt that's all in blue and white, it's not going to be as interesting as a sampler star quilt in blue and white. When elements of a design have a similar shape, we automatically create a visual relationship among them. So if there's triangles, and they might be different sizes and different kind of triangles, but we'll create a visual relationship between the different triangles. And Finally, variation is added through the shifting of motif shape. Our eyes are most interested in the place where the pattern is interrupted. So you can have variation, like our star quote going on, and then if maybe you put in one star that looks so totally different from the others, that is the place where the pattern is interrupted, and our eyes will go to it. It's sort of a focal point. Right. You want to make sure that you make that choice and don't do it accidentally in too many places. <laughs> right. I think we've talked about that on past episodes is make sure you're doing <clears throat> things by choice and not by accident. Um, one of the things that struck me when we were talking about the elements of a design having a similar shape and creating a visual relationship is my mom did a New York Beauty quilt, and I think I may have posted it on my blog for the episode on design or online, but I'll look at it again. When you first glance at the quilt, it looks completely chaotic because it's completely different figure uh, fabrics. All the New York Beauty um, blocks are all kind of skewed, so they none of them face the same way, really. But what creates the visual unity is the New York Beauty shape. So it's that's repeated throughout. So that's a thing where, you know, it looks like it should be a bit chaotic quilt, but it really works because it's got that overall unity of design. And like stars, New York Beauty is an excellent pattern to make sort of a, a single block sampler because you can make very small changes to it and create a lot of variety. And I think Karen Stone did a New York Beauty that was similar, sounds similar to what your mom did. Very chaotic, but as you look at it, you see the... I think, the my, I think my mom's was the Karen Stone one. I think oh. she was making the Karen Stone design. And, and yeah, it's it's just a gorgeous design. Yeah, Karen Stone did a really good job on the, the border of that quilt, too, because it really goes well with the New York Beauty block. That's a really good example of unity in a quilt. All right. I'll make sure we post a photo to that one of that quilt, too, as an example. Okay. Thank you. Okay. okay. So the next way of creating unity is called emphasis on unity. To say a design must contain both the ordered quality of unity and the lively quality of variety does not limit or inhibit the artist. The principle can encompass a wide variety of extremely different visual images and can even be contradicted for expressive purposes. 
So this is a little more difficult for me to explain. It's more of a mindset, I think. People might be thinking, ugh, that I don't want to make a whole star quilt just to have a quilt that's unified. And you don't have to. You just have to think about what elements you're working with and put them together as a unified whole. And that just requires, you know, maybe you use similar colors or maybe you repeat a certain uh, block periodically but don't make a whole quilt like that. Sampler quilts are a good example of this. An, they're an ordered quality of unity with a lot of variety, but they're not all the same. Of course, so, on, on the other hand, the emphasis on unity... Um, you know, I'm thinking about the red and white quilt exhibition in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, that a, a lot of those quilts were truly one shape and a solid fabric repeated over and over and over again, and they're gorgeous. Um, I think there where the subtle variation comes in is just in the fact that they are handmade, so of course they're not perfect. <laughs> you know, so you look at it and, gee, that triangle's just a little off, but it's okay because the overall unity is there and it's just they're gorgeous things so i think you can easily go either way on that yeah it might be hard to separate out the visual impact of all of those red and white quilts together because how would you feel if you saw just one of them in a quilt show i well and i i think i've seen that and some of that is definitely also personal preference now Partly, um, you talked me into downloading that app onto my iPad, and so that's how I've been looking at them. I, ha- I wasn't able to go to the quilt show itself. And so you are seeing one quilt at a time when you yeah. go through the app. Um, and some of them appeal to me more than others, but there are definitely some that are just a clear-on red and white quilt. They're not, you know, there's not a lot of variation. It's a single block repeated over and over. It might have a different border you know, something like that, but there's still beauty in that. Would I want to only ever make that kind of quilt? No, but I, I think you can see um, beauty in, a, in either way. Uh, probably for me, I would be more likely if I were to make a red and white quilt, I'd probably be more likely to choose different reds through it, you know, different fabrics, that kind of thing. But I just, you know, I, I did want to bring up that, yes, you could have a straight-up, straight repetition of a block and still have it be visually striking. Yeah, and I think your point about some of of the piecing not being quite as, as perfect as we expect our piecing to be, it really creates a lot of movement in the quilt. Mm-hmm. And if somebody gave most quilt makers one of those red and white quilts they wouldn't turn it away because the piecing wasn't perfect right (laughs) so the next thing is subtle repetition can enhance the unity of composition by using subtle repetition the artist draws the viewer in to look more carefully for differences an example is identical twins when you look at a photo of identical twins a glance you see two people who look the same but your eye will then start to seek out the differences. And the same can be said for a quilt block. If you choose subtle variations in color, then the viewer will seek out the differences, even if the block is the same. So if we go back to our blue and white sawtooth star quilt, if you choose all different blues and none of them are the same, and some of them are really bright and some of them are 
have way more black in them. It's going to be a very interesting quilt, even though the colors are the same, and I mean blue and white, and the pattern is the same. So unity without variety can evoke our worst feelings about assembly lines and institutions. I think that there are a lot of beautiful quilts, like we were talking about the red and white quilts, that are the same. But there are certain quilts that are the same that do bring up these kind of feelings. I mean, I don't think anybody really aspires to working on an assembly line doing the same thing every day. And many people do it. There's no, I'm not judging at all. But that that image, it doesn't bring up happy feelings in most people. So it's it's a a subtle it's it's another choice. You really have to look at the blocks that you're making and say what what does this evoke? And as a quilt maker you might like it, so it's important to ask your friends or ask your family what they think. Yeah, I was gonna say a couple of things in here is um on that, you know, when we were talking about the red and white quilts, it is that question of if you looked at a, a plain red, plain white, you know, no tone on tones or anything, plain red, plain white quilt where everything was absolutely identical and absolutely perfect, it would be less interesting and it would bring up that thought of, you know, boy, was this made by a machine. Whereas the handmade factor in there, the slightly inaccurate seams, the slightly wavering borders, that's what brings it the warmth because you can imagine the human hands that have touched it. Um, the other thing I, I wanted to come back to briefly is, is you had mentioned earlier in the emphasis on unity um, about that unity can be contradicted for expressive purposes. And the first image that came into my mind, and I'd never be able to find this on the Internet, but a few years back there was this pattern that got popular for a while that was tessellated fish. And all the fish were all the same color except one. So it kind of gave you this feel of the one fish swimming against the stream because that's the one that jumped out at you. And so that's kind of what comes to mind when you talk about all this unity, but then one just different. And what does that express then? And that is also an example of where the pattern is interrupted. Mm -hmm. So they that's a good example for both of those. Yeah, unfortunately, won't be able to post a link to <laughs> Hopefully you can imagine what I'm saying, because I have no idea where I'd find that one now. Um, but maybe if folks have made that kind of quilt or a quilt that's a similar idea, you can post links to your own photos in comments to this episode. Yeah, there's a, um, Jimmy Byer wrote a book on tessellating quilts, and it might be in there. I'm not sure I have that book, but um, some someone might have posted it on Twitter. Yeah, let us know. Please comment. Yeah. The next way of creating unity is emphasis on variety. And I will say that this is really difficult to explain in words. And I'm just going to try and create a visual example in your head. So a star quilt where none of the star patterns are the same. We talked a little bit about that, like a star sampler. And a quilt where none of the blocks are the same, but the colors unify the piece. So you might have one line of fabric, or you've chosen several fabrics that go together and use those throughout the whole quilt. So that's emphasis on on variety. 
Okay, I, I do think your basic sampler quilt is the perfect example of that because every block is different, but presumably you're using the colors then to bring it all together. So the next way of creating unity is called chaos and control. <laughs> Sounds like my house. <laughs> <laughs> Any house with children or pets. <laughs> Without some aspect of unity, an image or design becomes chaotic and quickly unreadable. Design can also become lifeless or dull if there's no unity. And neither utter confusion nor utter regularity are set, are satisfying. So an example is housing divisions often start out boringly the same. But as years pass, elements of personal variations crop up, like landscaping, paint color, fence style. And I know that not all housing subdivisions allow you to paint your house purple or whatever, but um, the the elements of personal variations do show up. People put out flags and that kind of thing. So this this way of creating unity is sort of what you shouldn't do. <laughs> you, you need some aspect of unity, as we've kind of been talking about. And designs that are chaotic and unreadable, people aren't going to look at. There are those quilts at a quilt show where there's so much different fabric that you can't, your mind can't make sense of it. You might like all the fabrics or you might go and look at the little pieces individually, but there's nothing to bring it together. And chaotic designs can also, they don't have life all the time. It's just a big mishmash. You know, I think for me, one of the examples that immediately comes to mind is, and this is not true globally by any means, and you don't see these very much anymore, but the watercolor quilts that were kind of the big rage for a while that were kind of postage stamp size um, floral prints that you would then lay out in a certain design. And some of them are gorgeous and done very well. Other ones always just struck me as being a little chaotic because they didn't seem to have an overall design in mind. It was just sort of like slapping all these different florals up together and expecting them to work. Um, so that, to me, kind of felt like an example of the chaos side of things. Those quilts take a lot of time to do well. And the Fabric of the Year quilt that I've been doing the past few years, they have an element of those watercolor quilts because there's a lot of rearranging that has to go on to make those quilts the way I want them. And it just takes a boatload of time. Mm-hmm. And in my quilts, I wasn't even trying to get those subtle shadings like the watercolor quilts do. And I don't think people realize how much time it actually takes. They think, oh, I've got this little pack that I bought from my local quilt shop, and I can just slap it up, sew it together, and move on. Right. That's what I think is the ones that weren't as successful were when people were using the technique but not understanding the the overall design principles behind it, really. Right. Okay, what's next after we've gotten out of our world of chaos? <laughs> Another way of creating unity is bridging. And this bridging itself is considered a principle of design by Joan Wolfram. But I think it's more of an element under unity for our purposes. Bridging is used to gently move the eye from one extreme to another. 
So, for example, color is often used for bridging. Color gradation often shows up in quilts, like my Fabric of the Year series, and moving from light to dark can add great drama to a design. Size gradation is also compelling. So remember we were talking about the the 4x4 four four black and white squares, and then we said, okay, add in some gray, change it to rectangles. That sort of size gradation, getting getting bigger or smaller, starting out one size and breaking up the, the pieces of the block to be different sizes. And you can also change the configuration of shapes, such as going from thin vertical rectangles through a square to a thin horizontal rectangle. And that's also, it's kind of a size variation, but a shape variation too. The next way of creating unity is unity through proximity. And this is one of the easiest ways to tie elements of a design together and you just place them close to each other. Make sure the objects in your design are close enough that they have a visual bond or a visible, visible, visual relationship. And objects need to be in close proximity for unity. Different shapes can be placed in such a way that they have no unity, but shapes can also be placed in such a way that suggests a meaning. And one example is Title Flat, a quilt by Inga Mardal and Steen Hoogs. They really use proximity well. We talked about that in a previous episode when I was talking about L-shaped designs. Mm-hmm. And there's also a quilt called Bagpipes by Judy Simmons. And I can't post pictures, but I will post links okay. to these. Um, just to give a, a quick, for those people who may not now rush to their computers and check the links. Title flat is three um, gulls, I believe, right? Seagulls standing standing together kind of in the middle of the quilt and everything else around them sort of recedes into the background. Um, Bagpipes, I apologize, I was not able to check that link. Can you describe bagpipes a little bit quickly? Yeah, it's basically handbags. And I think there's five handbags in sort of an oval shape and what's bringing them together are musical notes. So the, the quilt maker, Judy Simmons, has, I guess, applicated some way these musical notes in between the bags, kind of helping your eye move around the quilt from, from handbag to handbag. And so our eyes also organize the empty spaces in the design. It's really important to remember this. The foreground or positive shapes are surrounded by the background, which is also called negative space. And the quilt maker should be aware that the shapes in the foreground create shapes in the background. And those background shapes can confuse the viewer. They can also dominate the positive shapes. Traditional piece quilts often use this principle to add complexity to a design. Okay, yeah, so like a lot of times when we refer to a secondary design coming out in a quilt, that's actually often has an awful lot to do with that negative space and how the negative space then attaches throughout all the blocks of the quilt. Exactly right. That's an excellent point. The next way of creating unity is through movement. 
Repeating an object shape across the design creates movement when the repetition gives the eye the opportunity to move across the design. This is especially true if you turn the design. So say you are making Satu star blocks and you turn each one a little bit across the quilt. So I'm not saying horizontal and then on point, horizontal on point, but adding a funky shaped triangle so that it turns just a little bit. This will add interest even if you're using the same pattern and the exact same fabrics. The next way of creating unity is unity through continuation. And this is the arrangement of various elements in a composition so that their edges create a visual line. And quilts often employ a grid as an underlying structure like we talked about, which gives the blocks unity through the principle of continuation. So visual lines can be sashing, or they can be the edges of the blocks in some way. Yeah, I'm, I'm pondering what different quilts I've seen. I almost wonder whether um, Carol Breyer Fallert's quilt series that she did a while back with the um, flying geese in the streams that kind of move across, you know, and they change size as they move across the front of the quilt. Um, that's I think of that primarily as line, but I think that's also unity through continuation since that's the same flying geese shape over and over and over again, but it changes size as it moves across um, the exactly. quilt. Okay. These principles and elements overlap and work together. So if those flying geese are line, they, they may not only be line. Right. Okay, so... There are a few ways to achieve unity, and one way is to tie the foreground and background together. You can repeat a color in both the positive and the negative spaces. You can use the same patterns. We've talked about this a little bit in the course of our previous discussion. So what it means is that you have a batik with gold running through the predominantly black fabric. By applying gold leaves to the background fabric, you've moved in the direction of creating unity. So you take a color from the background fabric and you use it in the foreground. Not the same fabric, but one that will will work with it. Right. Also, if your quilt has large yellow areas, you could quilt with yellow pearl cotton to help achieve unity. And in the example, there has to be contrast as well. So achieving unity, contrast comes into it if you're using the same colors. And then the balance of positive and negative space can also work to your advantage in creating unity. And you you brought up a good point about secondary patterns. So, yeah, the, then we've talked about a lot of different ways that you can create unity um and i'm still kind of pondering i'm trying to you know all these kind of quilt images are going through my head okay which one does this example etc what happens if if you don't achieve unity well you have an ununified or unharmonious design you have um maybe chaos that and i'm not talking about your example of the new york beauty quilt but one quilt that came to mind was 
a quote where somebody used like 30,000 pieces. It was maybe in the 50s or the 40s. Some. It's an older quote that is an achievement because of the number of pieces, but not harmonious at all. Mm. Okay. So um, in ununified and unharmonious designs, the whole design or the group elements appear separate or unrelated. And a viewer will simply ignore chaotic design. Lack of unity is one of the major reasons a design is unsuccessful. Too much variety creates visual chaos. If not enough repetition exists, there is nothing to hold the design together. So this brings up orphan block quilt. All of us have one block from a class that you took and you finished the block but decided there was no way you were making a whole quilt with that block. <laughs> right. Or you're in a swap and you got a few blocks that are all different and all different fabrics. These are really difficult quilts to design and create unity because of the variety of blocks. You might have one from when the first year you started quilting and the 10th year you were quilting and your skill and color choices are very different at those times. So the artist has to create something to hold the group together, such as unified sashing or a color that otherwise flows through the piece. Those are a big challenge, but a good challenge too. People have those. It would be a great exercise for this, this segment. Right, to figure out how to make them work. And you know the resource that comes to mind specifically with orphan block quilts or swap quilts is Sharon Craig's Setting Solution books because that's where she kind of comes from is what do you do if you've got all these blocks that don't seem like they're actually going to play nice together? You know, how do you get them to work together? Uh, that's a great book in that respect because she does talk about some of those ideas of how can you bring all of these disparate elements into something that looks unified by the end of it. That's a great that's a great tip. I'm not familiar with that book, but it is on my list to check out. Okay, I'll make sure I link to it on the blog entry or the show notes for this episode because it really is very useful in that regard. Okay, great. And um, I will have some links to what I've uh, used in my research for this. So I just have a couple of notes at the end. Um, in the application of any art principle, wide flexibility is possible within the general framework of the guideline. And this could apply to any of the elements or principles that we've discussed or will discuss. Just keep in mind that you have a lot of flexibility. There are, I don't think these are rules, I think they're more guidelines. And once you know the guidelines, then you can break them. Right. And to say that the design must contain both the ordered quality of unity and the lively quality of variety doesn't limit the artist or inhibit the artist. This principle can encompass a wide variety of extremely different Im images and can even be contradicted for expressive purposes. And I mentioned that before, but I just want to bring it up again because I think it's really, really important. And that I wanted, I wanted people to think about it. Well, and, and again, I think we said this earlier, and we've certainly said it in other episodes, is it's okay to break the rules. It's okay to do something for a particular reason, but it's it's important to know why the rules are there in the first place. 
you know, because there's generally speaking always a reason for them. <laughs> and you can then break them intentionally and come up with something beautiful. But if you just create a quilt without being aware of some of these principles and some of these, as you said, guidelines, um, you may end up with a mess and can't identify why it's a mess. Um, and, so. and I'd like people to remember the design definition that we're working with, which is design is a problem-solving activity within all the arts. Placing or creating subject matter so it is a visual significance and interesting to the artist. Yeah. That goes with guidelines. It has to be interesting to the artist. Well, and I think that's, you know, that's kind of the approach we're taking through here is if you're working on a quilt and you've got it on your design wall and it doesn't feel right, now you're going to have the language. You'll be able to go through and say, okay, well, maybe it's color. Let me look at the color for a minute. Maybe it's line. Let me look at the line. And, and after this episode, maybe it's unity. Maybe it's just not holding together. So you'll be able to more easily assess what's going on than if you didn't know any of this and you were just trying to say, gee, it doesn't feel right. You know, let me try this. <laughs> And shooting in the dark. Exactly. Exactly. So I didn't create any exercises for this section. People could do the squares that we talked about at the beginning, black and white, black and white and two grays, rectangles with black and white, that sort of thing that they want. Um, but I would love to see whatever they come up with or if they posted quilts in your Flickr group, that would be great too with a little note about what they thought was good in terms of harmony and unity or what they thought um, they needed to work on. Okay, that's a great idea. Um, and I would also emphasize again that we're going to be posting either pictures of quilts or links to um, images of quilts that exemplify some of these um, principle or design elements as well. So to make sure that you check those out and look at them in light of what we've said um, so that you're kind of getting up on on what we're talking about. And I do think, Jay, that your Stars of San Bruno quilts really exemplify several of the um, topics we've talked about, as well as your Fabrics of the Year quilts okay. as well. So, All right. Well, um, what you will all know once you've heard this episode is that we've done this uh, conversation in many, many parts because we're having Internet connection problems today. So, Jay, I really appreciate that you were willing to hang in there, stick with it. Let me keep calling you back over and over and over again <laughs> and trying to get it all no into problem. one piece. <laughs> it's no problem. All righty. Well, thank you again, and we will talk again whenever you're ready for the next principle. Do you have any idea what you're going to tackle next? Well, I think I'm going to tackle either rhythm or repetition since those both factored so heavily in this one, and I'd like to create some auditory unity. <laughs> All right. Um, so, but we'll see. Okay. Um, and I'll try it, and I'll try and and do it soon, so that there's less of a lag. Well, Although, yeah, the, the holidays for, kind of messed us up, and being sick and all that good stuff, so. Yeah, it's kind of hard to have this conversation when neither of us have voice. <laughs> <laughs> I know. We were both down for the count for a little while there. So hopefully we'll both stay healthy. Hopefully I'm not traveling a lot in the next few weeks, so hopefully we can pull out a couple more, you know, within fairly close succession. So we'll work on that. Yeah, I am traveling towards the end of the month, but I'll see if I can get it done before that. All right, great. Well, we will be talking again then soon. Okay. All Thank right. Bye-bye, Jay. Bye.
As always, and as I said during the conversation, I want to say thank you again to Jay, uh, particularly because that was a very difficult conversation to have. The Internet was working against us. I think it was actually Skynet trying to take over, trying to keep humanity from talking to one another. But Jay and I prevailed against the intertube, and we got the conversation done. So I think... That means that Jay and I are the thin line that stands between you and robotic world domination, <laughs> I think. Anyway, um, I think I was able to edit out, you know, the break, so hopefully you didn't even notice, and I probably shouldn't even mention that it happened, but it was so frustrating, and I was so impressed with Jay that she was able to just keep going right on, <laughs> regardless of the fact that I had to keep hanging up and calling her back. Um Okay, Jay does have her blog all up and ready to go. There's all sorts of great information there, plus links to quilts and that kind of thing. And um, I'm going to be sending her a couple of other things as well when I post this, so you will have all sorts of visual aids to our conversation. So make sure you check it out. I will post the direct link on the show notes to this episode. Just a couple of more reminders. Uh, don't forget about the January 2012 Quilty Resolutions giveaway. Uh, you will find the link to that on the show notes to one of the previous episodes. There's actually an online form that you can fill out and just click submit and I will have your entry. Uh, there also don't forget about the donations quilts, sorry, the donation quilt group in Flickr. A lot of people have been posting there. I have been getting so much inspiration. There's part of me that would be almost ready to bag all my UFOs and the other projects I want to do and just keep working on donation quilts because there's a lot of really cute ideas out there. Um, and I am actually working on researching doing a linky. I would love to do a linky on donation quilts. Maybe a linky on my Food Friday blog. I don't know. I just, I really would love to do it. Um, and I, I'm pretty sure I know how to do it. I just haven't ever done it. So I'm going to have to do it once to make sure I know what I'm doing, which means you would have to forgive me if it all crashes and burns in a great big fiery ball of Internet chaos, uh, which I know you would because you're nice that way. Um, so I will hopefully be able to start doing linkies in another week or so. Um, other than that, you know how to get a hold of me. Email me at sandyquilts at gmail.com. That's Sandy with a Y and quilts with a Z. Uh, you can follow the blog. You can follow me on Twitter and Pinterest and Goodreads and all sorts of other places, all of which I'm Sandy Quilts Y and Z. Uh, you can and should join the Flickr group for quilting for the rest of us. And there's a couple of other um, groups there as well related to us. They're all linked up together. And you can also and should join the B Big Tent Quiltcast supergroup. And then once you've joined that group, you can join the Quilting for the Rest of Us subgroup, as well as many other fine subgroups of fine podcasts. Um, you will also you can also subscribe to the newsletter, which I'm actually going to be putting out much more regularly this year. I think I've already got the January one out or it's going to be going out soon. I know I've got it done. I may have scheduled it. I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> anyway, uh, you can also join the Kiva team. And I think I've mentioned all of them now. Um, and you will be able to find links for all of those things and all sorts of other good stuff, all sorts of tabs. Don't forget the You Know You're a Quilter Win tab at www.quiltingfortherestofus.com. And so until the next time, go get your quilty on. Quilting for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, Mom. 